Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement. Offering undergraduate and advanced degrees. publichealth.indiana.edu. Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times, along with co-host Claire McInerney. And today we're going to talk about the Indiana's Lifeline Law. This is a law that was passed last year in an effort to encourage minors to seek medical assistance for their uh, drunk friends without fear of prosecution for alcohol-related offenses. Uh, the death of Rachel Fige, a 19-year-old Indiana University freshman, uh, last week raises questions about whether the law is fulfilling its goal and, and how it can best work. Um, we're going to talk about that today with four great guests who we have in the studio with us. Pete Goldsmith is here. He's the dean of students at Indiana University. Uh, Lori Flint is the chief of the Indiana University Police Department. Brett Hiley is a former student government president at Purdue University and worked very hard to get the Lifeline Law passed. And Randall Frickberg is with us. He's director of student legal services at Indiana University. You can join the program by calling 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the local calling area. You can also join us on a live chat, wfiu.org slash noon edition. And you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. So thanks for all being here. It was a terrible start to the, to the academic year. Uh, Lori, I wanted to, you to sort of give us some more background on this particular case, what happened, and then that will help uh, move us into the Lifeline Law, whether it would have applied, how it would have applied, whether it would have made a difference. On August 23rd at approximately 7.48 a.m., IU Police Department received a call from Bloomington Central Dispatch. Uh, the 911 call had actually gone into Bloomington. When you use a cell phone and dial 911, that's typically where it would go. Um, they contacted us and let us know that they received a call of an unresponsive female um, in the uh, <coughs> in 817 North Park. Um, we responded, and subsequently that investigation. Um, led to the realization that she actually had fallen down some stairs within the house um, between 1 and 2 a.m. And um, as I stated, we were not contacted until 748. Mm -hmm. At that time, we responded. Uh, we arrived within three minutes. An ambulance arrived within four. And, and so what happened in that intervening five hours? The, the students who were there had taken care of her, moved her? My understanding is that they did not realize the extent of her injuries at that time. Um, they did move her um, uh, to a place to rest um, mm -hmm. within the house and monitored her throughout the night. Mm -hmm. And there was alcohol in the house. So. There was, right. yes. Okay. So, Brett, the uh, Lifeline Law that you worked so hard on last, last year, how would that have applied in a case like this, or how could it have applied in a case like this? Sure. Well, the Lifeline Law uh, enacted, signed into law by Governor Daniels on July 1, 2012, um, can be applicable in situations like this where we have a minor under the age of 21 or even minors who are with this person at a, at a party or an event. Um, should they request, call 911 uh, for medical assistance, stay on scene, be fully cooperative with police, they are um, protected from a few criminal charges that they otherwise may be liable for prosecution for. Those include minor possession uh, or consumption um, and transporting an alcoholic beverage. So um, we saw this as a, a means to address a problem that we saw uh, that was prevalent at Purdue and really across the nation, that is um, loss of life or serious personal in injury as a result of alcohol consumption or injury sustained following alcohol consumption. Mm -hmm. So basically it's 
there's a party going on. Somebody yeah. gets really, really drunk, and nobody wants to call the police or call for right. help because they're afraid they're going to get in trouble. Exactly. Right. And now a lot of universities worked on this with you, right? In, yeah, this, this was a collaborative effort between Purdue University, IU, University, IU um, University of Southern Indiana, were kind of the main three, and also some input from Ball State and Butler University. Mm-hmm. And what kind of uh, um, cooperation? Obviously, you got a lot of cooperation from the state legislature. Did mm-hmm. they have any concerns in working with you? Or? Certainly, and, and I'd be the first to admit this was not our original idea. This was something that we worked with, um, we, we took as a concept from other states who had implemented similar ideas. Um, both Purdue and IU already had existing campus policies, but we we saw the need for a student coalition statewide to really address the statewide legislative change. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went through about seven or eight different iterations uh, to get to the bill that eventually passed the General Assembly by unanimous vote. And the first, the first iteration to the, the seventh or eighth, there were some major changes that took place, uh, and those were, the changes were a result of really political feasibility and what would, what would be able to pass a vote, and also um, practical application from discussions with law enforcement, prosecutors, um, campus health officials. Mm-hmm. Now, Dean Goldsmith, you, uh, on campus you have programs that, that try to address these kinds of issues as well. Can you talk about how those programs and the state law work together? Sure. I think it's uh, primarily focused on what we're calling the culture of care, and that is a, a, a uh, really a student-led initiative that came out of uh, IU Student Government and the Dean's uh, Advisory Board to say – we can take better care of each other. We're the students are the ones who are with other students when issues arise. And so how can we take better care of each other? And the most visible feature at the moment is what's called a bystander intervention program where we're training at this point hundreds of students uh, how to step up when there is a potentially dangerous situation or an event that's occurring uh, to uh, uh, help that person get to a safe place and to provide um, assistance for that person. The lifeline law certainly is part of that because it encourages students to call for help. Mm-hmm. And so we think that they, they kind of go hand in hand. Is that the main thing? I mean, what do you, what do you, in, this, uh, in this training, what, what's the number one thing you tell them to do? Just well, call for help? It's to have, no, it's to have the confidence to, to intervene. Uh-huh. Uh, we talk about uh, using the words to use. We talk about situations to watch out for. So it really is about about giving folks, uh, empowering folks mm-hmm. uh, to feel like they can step up and, and be involved. And Pete, in addition to the IU programs, what are you doing to bring awareness about, <clears throat> about this law? Well, there was an open letter that the provost uh, and I and, and Jose, the uh, IUSA president, sent out uh, earlier this week to call attention. Uh, there have been some ads in the, in the newspapers uh, so clearly, uh, the with uh, Rachel's un- untimely death, there's been a, a real focus on this, and, and it's been really all over. Mm-hmm. Now, isn't it true that bef- I mean, before that you were promoting it somewhat? I heard there were, like, signs on buses and things of that nature. We were. Uh, but it's one of those things that, uh, you know, this is just-in-time learning, that, yeah. uh, that when an issue like this arises, people focus on it. But, yes, we have been making efforts to make people aware of it. And to make people more more uh, uh, aware of how to use it. Okay. Now, now, Randy, from a legal standpoint, I mean, it's a it's a it's a start. I mean, how it, how it is a start, and it's a worthy start. Um, I analogize it to if there were a vaccine for polio, uh, I would celebrate it. If that vaccine were provided only to half of the people who would have polio, I would have concerns about that. But it wouldn't mean that I wouldn't be happy that half the people could be immunized against polio. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some major gaps in the lifeline law that I think Brett would probably know the sausage-making political (laughs) process better than I. But uh, even just yesterday, um, the Senator Merritt, who was, I believe, the legislative oar that rode the boat, felt the need to say that they had to walk a line between protecting students' lives or underage people's lives and encouraging uh, excessive binge drinking. And from a legal perspective, if you're going to, from my perspective, if you're going to protect lives, then you need to expand the law so that it covers as many lives as possible. And so what I would urge, the biggest flaw that I have, 
is in the case of Ms. Feige, uh, her friends and, and people around her would have had to make a decision. Uh, Rachel would not have been covered by the lifeline law. And so what I'm always concerned with is friends of a high-achieving student on scholarship or who's looking for a plum job will ultimately have to make a decision, would he or she want us to intervene? Or because he or she could very much still be arrested. Um, I don't have great problems with IUPD, but BPD certainly leaves tickets behind when they take someone to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my main concern is if we want a truly effective lifeline law, we need to protect the person who is vulnerable, who actually needs the medical attention. Um, the law also doesn't cover illegal drugs. I know that that's a hot button issue that politicians don't want to be deemed soft on drugs. But to me, if we value a life of a drunk person, we should value the life of someone who is overdosed on something else. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I'd suggest is – This doesn't cover some significant crimes. Uh, In the Ms. Feige's case, if someone furnished alcohol for her, if you do that for an underage person and someone is seriously hurt or dies, you are a felon in Indiana. So provided somebody bought the beer, liquor or whatever is – that causes this problem in the first place, that person can't say, oh, I'm safe if I call for help. That person says I am potentially a felon if someone has gotten hurt and I'm going to have to take that hit if we make the call. Mm-hmm. And, and I just think that if, if the goal is to make this the easiest possible decision for the underage person, we need to cover more. Uh, before I go to give our phone numbers again, I, we should say that I don't believe we have determined how much or if Rachel had had any alcohol. Correct. That, correct. So, so we, we just don't know whether you know, how, how that would have applied to her. If you, have, if you have a question or a, a, a comment, please phone us at 855-0811. Or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. And back to the law itself, Brett, I don't know if you can speak about this, but you just talked about the gaps, Randall. Um, Mm -hmm. When it was being drafted, how did that come about? Why did we choose to protect the callers and not the person in in danger? Well, as as was alluded to, that was very much, uh, that was one of the issues of political feasibility. Uh, That was one of the those those gaps listed were some of the primary concerns uh, that legislators had, um, specifically the issue of providing limited immunity to the person in, be, in need of medical attention. That was very much seen as um, protecting or endorsing the person or the individual who had, had overconsumed and thus could be seen as supporting underage drinking. That was kind of the thought process that uh, from iteration one to iteration, iteration seven, that is what was removed from our proposal. And is that the same with someone who would furnish to the minor? Uh, I don't believe that was ever included due to some concerns we had with uh, providing immunity for felonies, and that was something that was a concern from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dean Goldsmith and Chief Flint, um, I'd like for you to, to – React to some of the things that Randy said about because he he is talking about um, you know some decisions to be made and you two have both talked about the culture of care uh, Pete in particular mm-hmm. because you know the, the wrong decision can can lead to death obviously um, so can you sort of respond well I, I think from my perspective it, it always has to be about about what can we do to to intervene in a situation to maybe save a life or to get someone the medical attention they need. I think um, uh, certainly IUPD and certainly uh, the dean's office through the student ethics office, uh, we take into account situations and try to judge situations um, as they develop. And so uh, while the law specifically doesn't exclude those things, we would be aware of those things. And certainly the fact that people called would be a, a mitigating factor. Mm-hmm. I would just note, Bob, that the Hoosier Pact that does apply to IU discipline and that, that Pete has been instrumental in publicizing does protect illegal drugs and the potential victim in that circumstance. Mm-hmm. I've heartily endorsed the Hoosier Pact. I just think that mm-hmm. it, that didn't have to get through a legislature, obviously, and I understand that. Right. And what well, is the Hoosier Pact? 
that uh, Pete can address it, but it's the IU policy that essentially uh, you you have to go through some education programs if you are in in that sort of circumstance. But you are not going to be at least my understanding is you're not going to be uh, booted from the university if you are in such a circumstance based on drugs. And it also covers the the victim in the circumstance that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Now. Oh, go ahead. I was just say, Pete, how have you found the PACT, the Hoosier PACT effective? Well, we essentially have, have um, focused more on the lifeline law since it was passed. Well, I should say that, that Senator Merritt, who you alluded to, um, he was on the show, or I think we had a show about six months ago or so, and he was on the show. We talked about the law. Um, and also, um, I, I know he wanted to be here today, I believe, so, uh, but couldn't make it. So he, he is willing to talk about it pretty much anywhere. I talked to him about it earlier this week. Uh, I had a specific concern about the law that I wanted to talk to him about, which was that, um, as we said, we, we're not sure what happened exactly in that house. We don't know if um, Rachel had been drinking or not drinking, and the law is very narrowly drawn to say that it will cover people who are underage and drinking from these certain things as if they're getting help for someone who is in a health issue because of alcohol. It doesn't cover specifically if somebody fell down the stairs, they're perfectly sober, fell down the stairs. If somebody uh, somebody comes in and swings and punches somebody who's perfectly sober, doesn't cover those people. Um, he said to me, and so did uh, Matt Pierce, and it's documented in a story I wrote, um, that they believe, both believe, that, that the police and prosecutor would, would have a a tremendous amount of discretion to sort of sort out what happened, what what went on, and that that just shouldn't be a concern. Lori, can you address that? Absolutely. I think the students here have a, a definite benefit. Um, we work very closely with the dean of students' office, student ethics, student support and conduct, um, the prosecutor's office. We understand it's a university setting and that um, a lot of these kids are first time out on their own without parental supervision. As such, um, they are going to be presented with um, opportunities to partake um, in um, alcoholic beverages, um, um, unfortunately drugs, uh, things along those lines. Um, And they're going to make choices that perhaps at the time were not the best decisions they could have made. In those cases, I think um, we take the totality of the situation into account and um, try to work with the student. Um, I think our goal, everyone's goal here at the university, is to get them from point A to point B. Um, We want them to safely uh, reach uh, graduation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we have a lot of, um, as you said, discretion and or leeway in situations. you know, there's the pretrial diversion program if they actually have criminal charges uh, filed. Um, in lieu of criminal charges, uh, we meet weekly and discuss every arrest report, um, medical issues, things along those lines um, affecting our students, and um, try to come up with the most reasonable um, and responsible decision. Mm-hmm. I would just say that uh, I wholly agree, especially in the IUPD uh, context, that there is a holistic approach to cases like this. My constituents, uh, the students of IU, also know that there are two other prime police organizations, the Bloomington Police and the Indiana State Excise Police. And I would say that uh, for every notion that Senator Merritt or anyone else puts forth during this discussion that the police will somehow let things go, Uh, My Mondays would be a heck of a lot easier if that were true. And so all I can say is if there is a tacit understanding that the police will let it go on things like this, it has yet to alleviate the workload at Student Legal Services. Okay. Brett? Yeah, I would add that that during this process from the student coalition perspective, one of the surprises that we had is that to some extent this wasn't as much of a radical change as we thought it it would be. Uh, in, in discussions with Purdue University Police, for example, similar to um, what I'm hearing now from IU, they told us that this was essentially the existing practice of their department. Um, but the change that needed to be made was a change in public perception, and we needed to essentially codify what was that existing practice so that we could spread awareness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in situations Three years ago, uh, with a case of drinking at Purdue, we likely would have had a similar outcome from a police response standpoint. There wouldn't have been 
in many cases there may not have been a, an arrest or prosecution, but we needed to be able to tell that story. And to do that required the change of state law. And, and I think believe that is why they were such a, a valuable partner to us as they realized the reality of the situation uh, and, and that it's needed to be changed so that we could tell the story. Mm-hmm. Well, we have, we've established that the law covers the person who calls. What if it is a large house party or a tailgate or something like that? What happens when the police show up or the ambulance shows up to everyone else at that party? Is, was that addressed in the law or in the drafting of the law? Originally, uh, we had intended to cover any individual who provided assistance in some form or another, um, and that was again another another provision that was whittled away and, and maybe pared down a little bit, out of concern that could this include 150 people at a tailgate before a football game? Um, those were the you know the points that were brought up that caused us to to whittle it down a little bit, and we ended up with. Um, having a very small net of people who, who might be considered immune through the law. All that I would say to that is if there are 150 people present uh, and our goal is not to encourage underage drinking, that I think having them stand by and watch, even with immunity, while someone is taken to the hospital, will probably do a heck of a lot more to deter underage drinking uh, than uh, you know some parsing of the law in particular. Uh, that's just... That, again, this is the lawyerly perspective. But. <laughs> well, and I think that was probably IUPD's uh, perspective in this whole case we're discussing is um, what benefit would there be to have criminal mm-hmm. charges right. uh, on top of what has already happened? Yeah, I mean, we can we can parse the law, and there may be some things. Mean, Senator Merritt said if the law can be made better, somebody bring me an idea and we'll work on that. Um, Matt, I, I want to say something that Matt Pierce said also, and, and Dean Goldsmith, I think you can respond to this. He's, he said uh, the criminal code is, a terrible, is terrible at dealing with these social issues. He said ultimately the way to solve this will not be through the criminal code. It will be by, by the grinding education process and changing the culture. I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, we're looking at a national phenomenon on almost every college campus that 18 to 22-year-olds engage in uh, risky behavior and experimentation and um, in any number of activities. And so part of our charge then is to try to change that culture, is to try to make a difference uh, in uh, in choices and decisions people make uh, to give them the support to make those decisions, to provide them information, provide them support uh, when they stumble, um, uh, and then then in the hopes uh, that then they begin to develop uh, different ways in which uh, they they conduct their lives. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to talk more about the culture on campus, how you can change the culture, how you can address these issues, the lifeline law, a lot of other things. If you have questions or comments about any of these issues, if you want to talk about what's going on on campus, because we all know that a lot of things are going on on campus, give us a call, 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. You can also join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition, or you can send us a question on Twitter at Noon Edition. We'll be right back. This is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, Information at smithville.net and IU School of Public Health Bloomington, online at publichealth.indiana.edu. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state each day. You can read news throughout the day as it's posted on our website at wfiu.org. And you can pick up a digest of all the top stories. It's like a newspaper delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of not only the headlines, but also the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIU.org news.
Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from the Herald Times, along with Claire McInerney from WFIU, WTIU. Uh, We're talking about Indiana's lifeline law and the culture on campus, culture of care, and uh, trying to avoid any other um, serious um, issues like the death of Rachel Fiege, which occurred just a week ago here on the Indiana University campus. We have four great guests with us in the studio, Pete Goldsmith, the dean of students at Indiana University, Lori Flint, the chief of the Indiana University Police Department, Brett Hiley, former student government president of Purdue University, and Randall Frickberg, who's the director of student legal services at Indiana University. If you want to join the program, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or 877-285-9348. Outside of the Bloomington area, you can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition and follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Well, we were talking about, starting to talk about the culture of care and what's what's being done to try to change. I mean, culture change is difficult. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, and when I was 18 to 22, I did a lot of things on campus that I that wasn't very smart, and, I, and I'm sure that a lot of, maybe some of you in here have done the same thing, but uh, not Brett. But, uh, Lori, what, what's the police department doing to try to orient kids to their responsibilities to the dangers that might face them when they show up on a college campus away from home? Well, I know one of the things that we get asked often is um, about our education programs. And um, we have a new crop every year of between seven and 8,000 uh, freshmen. So it's like starting over every year. Um, but one of the things that we do um, is during orientation, which they're here um, registering for classes uh, during the summer, um, and their parents are typically with them, is we have what we call a sprint session. It's approximately 20 minutes um, daily during orientation. and. Uh, the majority is parents that attend. And one of the things, um, one of the questions that comes up is IU um, has had, at least in the past and probably still, uh, a party school uh, reputation. Um, and how do we address uh, alcohol issues on campus? Um, so I know we've discussed a little bit earlier about um, it's going to be happening. Um, your kids are probably going to be at least um, presented with the opportunity, um, and we'll have to make some decisions. And some of those m- might not be the right decisions, but um, our department, you know, we're very busy. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we, we aren't out actively seeking um, anybody who's having a drink. Um, people have to draw attention to themselves somehow. Um, and that's done in a number of ways. The party gets too large and is spilled out onto the front lawn. Um, uh, the music is too loud, and the neighbors, um, they live in a residential area where the neighbors aren't appreciative of the, their music at 1 a.m. Um, anyway, it, our, our attention is drawn to them. Mm-hmm. So um, basically, if you can, and I know to me it's kind of an oxymoron, if you can drink responsibly, um, and that's... That's what we try to stress. Right. Well, what are some of the things you're addressing with parents during orientation at the beginning of their child's college career? Um, oh, what, what do we talk in sprint sessions? Yeah, in the sprint about? sessions, yeah. Um, some of those things are um, our greatest crimes on campus um, probably center on theft. Uh, theft is a crime of opportunity, close quarters and dormitories, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Pete, th- does... I use reputation as a party school. Is it deserved? Is it just an unfair label? Well, this is the uh, seventh institution I work for, and, I, and I've always worked at a party school, so I've either made very poor it choices. Must be you. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Um, so I, I think, again, it is a phenomenon that, that most college campuses experience. We start uh, prior to orientation. Uh, students are required to do an online program called My Student Body. Uh, we have several programs at the beginning of schools. We work with the residence hall folks to do some education. And what we're trying to say to students is it, it, it is a choice but not the only choice. We have probably 4 to 5% more of our entering students every year who tell us uh, we, we choose to be abstinent. We're not going to, to engage in illegal substances, either drugs or alcohol. We need to empower those students more to understand that they're not alone mm-hmm. because sometimes students think they're the only one or – or, you know, the, the press of the environment is so great that they think they don't have a choice. And so through prevention, intervention programs ongoing throughout the year, 
uh, we try to help, again, help students make better choices. Mm -hmm. And Brett, what was your experience at Purdue? Was there a lot of education, a lot of awareness, um, and did a lot of the students, uh, did they get it? Well, this it's, it's worth mentioning that this effort at, at Purdue was really one part of a multi-part strategy looking and just talking about um, alcohol consumption, alcohol abuse in general. Uh, in addition to our change of the campus policy and advocating for the state law, we also, as a student government, fund funded a new campus tailgate to provide a substance-free alternative for students before home football games. And we fund... $30,000 a year to events during our Grand Prix, which is kind of the big party week um, in the spring semester. And so this was one of several um, initiatives we had to not only, you know, this law is the worst case scenario. We would prefer to have educational practices in place so that we never have to use this law. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you, if you go to Purdue as a freshman student, we have about 10,000 students each year who take an online alcohol education course. Those are the the steps that we try and put in place so that this law is hopefully irrelevant and someday um, we don't have to have these discussions. <laughs> We'd like for you to join the conversation if you would like, 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348. Outside of the Bloomington area, you can join a live chat at wfiu.org slash noon edition, or you can follow us on Twitter at noon edition. Um, I wanted to ask about the football game last night because the tailgate area looked empty and clean. Have there been changes there? That's been a big party area. Yes, there there have been a number of changes, and we've been working with the uh, student leadership, particularly Panhellenic and, and IFC, to to make that experience more of a traditional tailgate experience. And so there are now uh, tents uh, in the area, and uh, there's a common source of sound. Uh, there is a um, some changes in terms of food expectation for food uh, and those kinds of things. And, and the again, goal is to make it a, a more enjoyable, a more traditional tailgate experience. Uh, last night, uh, I'm sure, is not the biggest game of the year that we'll have in terms of attendance, but it certainly was a great start, uh, and I think we're encouraged. Is there a cleanup requirement now? There is. Uh, there is, and we've been working with the sustainability uh, office at IU and trying to, again, make folks more aware and enhance and mm-hmm. and um, make it happen. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that a lot of times, um, you know, we'll write stories about after a home football game and, uh, you know, thinking about the, the parent angle. Laura, you were talking about the parent education and whatnot. I remember we had a story and, and one of the young women who was arrested had a blood alcohol of hmm, very nearly Point three zero. I mean, it was a really, really high, you know, nearly dead kind of blood alcohol. And uh, her parent was actually quoted as saying something like, well, I'm just glad she wasn't driving. I'm proud of her that she wasn't driving. I mean, is that – do you run into those kind of, um, you know, attitudes with parents often? Or, I mean, what's you – know, what, what kind of tolerance level is there among among the, the parents of students who – either I, one of you, yeah. Well, <laughs> let me I, – I try to talk to as many parent groups as I can during the summer, and there are about 40 of those sessions. And uh, what what – uh, I try to stress is that this is not your experience in college, and that the difference is the phenomenon of binge drinking, where students drink uh, to excess. And so, uh, and so, I, I ask parents to have a conversation with their students and to talk about their expectation in terms of alcohol and drug use in college, and you know what what they're uh, how they're going to feel about that if they get that call uh, from us saying that we're concerned about your students' continuance at the university because. Uh, they're abusing drugs or alcohol, and the response I've gotten has been has been real positive. But but there is this notion that it's a rite of passage. That what's what's the problem with a few beers? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I think for me it's the different it's a different culture around alcohol that's different. Mm-hmm. We'll talk more about that after we take a phone call. We have uh, Scott from Bloomington on the phone. Scott. Yes. Hi. How are you? Good. Go right I'm ahead. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm calling because I'm the. Um, company commander for the Bloomington Recruiting Company, um, and we have several programs in the U.S. Army uh, for alcohol, substance abuse. Um, we teach these regularly to our soldiers, but one of the things that we do as recruiters is we go out into classrooms, high schools and colleges, and we can offer free education to students um, for 
situations just like this for alcohol and drug awareness. Um, and that, that would be something that I would be willing to offer to any school in the Bloomington area. Scott, what's, what does your program, I mean, give us a, a, a little bit of a sense of what, it, what it's composed of. What, what, do you, what do you talk about? Well, we've got, um, we've got a set of uh, PowerPoint slides that the U.S. Army recruiters use. Um, they're sent to us from our battalion headquarters. We've got an education specialist up there that actually develops a lot of these programs, and they're given to our recruiters, um, sergeants E6, E7, some E5s. And we go out into the classrooms, talk to the kids, talk to teachers about the dangers of drugs and alcohol abuse. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think uh, Lori's writing down your information, <laughs> so we appreciate the call. Okay, thank you. All right. Thanks a lot, Scott. Our phone numbers are 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join a live chat at wfiu.org slash Noon Edition, or you can follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Um, so, Randy, you know, you've been listening to a lot of the conversation. I mean, you deal with an awful lot of students. As you said, your Mondays are, are very They can be busy. adventurous. Yeah. So, I, I mean, from your perspective, as the guy who once, uh, once a kid is in some sort of trouble, from your perspective, I mean, what, what can be done to try to mitigate you know, the alcohol abuse and the issues that go with it on campus? Well, I think Pete's point is well taken, and the, the disjoint or the misunderstanding between parents – who might think, you know, oh, the young lads will have a couple of beers on the quad versus the ritualistic behavior of drinking to complete inebriation. Um, There is a huge gap, I think, between what we all think is what could be a rite of passage, learning one's limits, learning to be responsible, and what really happens. And the first thing I say when one of uh, Chief Flint's officers has ticketed someone who is at a point three zero or even higher than that, Bob, is that I am very thankful that the police ticketed you because that means you will not be dead tomorrow. Um, you know, lawyers have to deal with – I mean, we're, we are the hammers, not the carrots in this equation. Um, so I'm trying to educate people that there are very real consequences. I, I get to focus on the narrow legal ones, but we also try to, uh, to convey um, that – Essentially, if you choose to treat your time at IU like sleepaway camp, you're wasting what really could be the best four or five or however many years you know of your life. And it was a great period of time for me when I didn't always comport myself to the strict letter of the law. Uh, but it was never the strategic, you know, here's how we get as messed up as fast as possible. Um, I'm all in favor of the caller and classroom presentations. I, my sense is there isn't a tremendous lack of those at the school level. Um, we try to communicate in ways to, you know, social media, Facebook, uh, IU Student Legal on Twitter, the blog that I write. And it can't compare to the how people use social media to say, here's what we were really doing last night. Um, I mean, it's just a little peep against a, you know, an elephant roar. Mm-hmm. Brett. Yeah, well, if we talk about you know cultural tra- change and and really bringing change, something that has become this ingrained in campus culture, um, one thing that is important uh, that I look to is a recent development this week where Big Red Liquors, thirteen locations in Bloomington, have been posting uh, have posters on their front door that said, "If you're not twenty one, we don't want to serve you. If you are in need of medical attention." Here's the lifeline law. This is what you need to use. I think that is the kind of messaging that can be effective. Mm -hmm. Um, No offense to some of the folks in this panel with me, but I don't think that authoritative figures have much capacity to institute change in in this situation. I think it's going to take kind of those peers and community partners, folks who are uh, kind of on on the same side of the table as those young people to say, here's why, not just say don't do it, say here's why we believe this is something we need to take seriously. This is why it's a problem. I think that could be the the start of a a real community effort to change this culture. Mm -hmm. And and Pete, does IU have plans or do they currently use students um, and peers to help get across these messages of knowing your limits and being safe? Right. That's the whole premise of culture of care, that it's Mm -hmm. student to student. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I have to go down this path because I, um, there, you know, there are local businesses in town that obviously 
profit a tremendous amount on the student and the student drinking culture. Uh, I'm not going to name any names, but there's you know a particular bar that on home football Saturdays opens at eight o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock in the morning um, with a special deal, and uh, and and yet I. I know this year that I believe IU has actually partnered with them on a promotion for uh, football. And I, I just wonder about the, the – is that a double-edged – I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, Pete, but if, it's, if that's a consistent message or it, what the responsibility of the business is and the, response, and the relationship between the university and, and a business that, um, you know, that operates – well, they operate – for profit, and I respect them for that, but it's... Yeah. yeah, I think that ambiguity is part of the whole issue, that we are ambivalent about alcohol use particularly, and certainly to a certain extent drug use in our society, so that I think this this ambivalence spills over into dealing with this issue as well. I think there are, are lots of, of uh, bar owners and uh, restaurants that, that have a vested interest in not serving terribly intoxicated people and not having underage people get into their establishment and uh, create problems for them. And so we, you know, we talk with them, we work with them, and can can we cooperate to figure out ways in which we can be more effective uh, so that we are serving of age people and that we are emphasizing uh, responsible drinking and uh, under control drinking. But I, I think it's just a reflection of the larger ambiguity that we all deal with. And, Bob, we have ambiguity at Indiana University. Uh, yesterday, the athletic department was tweeting out, you know, uh, go morning tailgaters. Uh, you know, shout out in the, in the, um, and the red lot opens at 2. Um, I mean, obviously, it, it, I, there are wonderful local establishments that also walk that fine line. But there are also erstwhile members of this August institution that – that stumble as well with, you know, anyone who's saying shout out to the morning tailgaters to me, I just rub my temples because I, I get to deal with them on Monday, not on Friday or Thursday. All right. We have a message that uh, somebody uh, wrote into the live chat about um, big red liquors having full page ads in the IDS. What kind of subliminal message is that sending? I don't students? think it's subliminal, Bob. <laughs> it's right there. <laughs> it's not my question. Right. <laughs> um, I mean, People can advertise legal products in newspapers. I'm all for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to remember also half of college students are 21 or over. So. Right, right, right. All right. Well, we have a phone. Uh, we have the, the phone lines are open. If you want to call us, we have about 10 more minutes to go. 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can join a live chat at WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. You can also follow us on Twitter at Noon Edition. There are... I mean, this is a, a, a problem or an issue that has multiple layers, obviously. I want to go back to the issue that this is not your parents' experience necessarily. Um, Senator Merritt, you know, even talks about handles. You know, it was a new term to me a couple of years ago, but I'm a Bloomington guy, so I understand it. But, uh, you know, this is – I think Randy talked about the idea of people um, who will buy a – what is a handle? Half gallon of vodka? 1.75 liters, Bob. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and they, they just drink from the bottle, pass it around. Um, you know, that's a different – that's kind of different from a few beers, as Pete said. So, Brett, is that um, you know, that that's a common occurrence? Is that the kind of thing that you're trying to protect against? Certainly, from some of the uh, seen some some the results from student surveys at Purdue, and one of the, if not the most glaring change in student alcohol consumption behavior in the past decade or so has been a transition from beer to more of the hard liquors, and I think that uh, along with that comes some of the uh, overconsumption and, and injuries that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have uh, phone calls coming in now, so let's go to Tim. Tim? Hi. How are you, Bob? Good. Go right ahead. Uh, I know you are concerned about this, uh, and you brought up the ethical dimension, and uh, you spoke to the Monroe County religious leaders and wrote a good piece about it. But I think that element has been left out of your discussion so far. In other words, it's going to change the culture. What about the religious and moral leadership that needs to be exhibited? 
uh, the mainline churches, the Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopal, you know, are, are just almost forsaken campus ministry. I'm sure you'll get plenty of calls. That, oh, or no, we're not. But they're they're going up against a, 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 a huge cultural change. You have other institutions or programs like Crew, which uh, send out you know lots and lots of staff members. But I think that religion and ethical concerns have to be part of this cultural change and say that there are other things that are more important than getting drunk on the game night or or experimenting with drugs. And I'd like uh, your your people that are in other areas uh, to comment on that and how they may affect some cultural change. Well, Tim, I I work uh, a lot with the campus religious leaders, and I find them vitally concerned about this issue. Uh, I was, in fact, uh, at a meeting yesterday of the campus religious leaders, which includes mainline folks, as well as the, a number of the other parachurch groups. And, and part of our discussion was about uh, working with students who may be uh, either um, experiencing problems with alcohol or drugs and what we can all do together to, to make that better. And part of that, certainly from their framework, is the, is the moral and religious dimension of whatever the uh, tenets are of their particular faith or whatever the expectations are for, for membership in their group. But I, I really do think that they uh, they provide another avenue for us to be able to uh, help students, to refer students to, to uh, another place where students can find a group where, where they can belong. Um, and we find it a very positive uh, kind of relationship. Uh, thank you. I just want to lift up that uh, a part of our community that doesn't have money for huge advertising and, and all these other things. But there are people that are deeply concerned about this uh, need of for change in the culture and i think uh religion uh, can 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 provide some of that help and i thank you for speaking about it all right thanks a lot tim uh we're going to go straight to jenny on the phone jenny yes hi go right ahead yeah uh this is jenny young i just have a little story to share with you okay um when washington state um left the band of the marijuana I taught this to my grandson and says, uh, actually, we do met some people there. They're going to move out because they don't want their kids in that kind of situation. And my grandson says, there's no need because when the things prohibited, the kids think it's cool to do it. So once there's uh, no law prohibited, then it's no cool anymore. Then they will not do it just for fun. I don't know if this relates to the alcohol or anything, but I just want to share this story with you. Thank you. Randy, go ahead. I think that that very much could relate to alcohol. A lot of the comments that have come up kind of contravening the, the trolling on the Internet about, about the death we had have been if we just abolished the drinking age or lowered the drinking age. I, I'm not a social scientist. Uh, I'm just a lawyer, so I deal with what happens when people don't uh, follow the law. But uh, if there were any way to intervene and have it be that, yes, I've had wine with my parents, you know, since I was 18, and then I go to college, and it's just not that big of a deal. You know, you learn how much it takes to get a nice warm feeling and not so much that you end up in a gutter face down. Uh, there are people a lot smarter than me can say whether that's a good idea or a bad idea, but I'd be all in favor of any sort of cultural shift that could say, this is not summer camp. You know, and that, you know, my first drink came with my parents watching me. At, uh, at least at least two of us in the room are old enough to remember when the drinking age was 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, uh, <laughs> and I certainly remember serving alcohol at orientation and uh, serving, uh, having alcohol served at campus events. And I, th- I think it, my experience was it wasn't a panacea. Uh, it's certainly I liked having the ability to have some control over and experience with uh, the use of alcohol. But certainly there were some issues. But uh, generally, I think there was some value in having the ability to have also some control over it. We have a, a Barbara has uh, called in on the live chat again to, about the IDS. What's the average age of the IDS reader? Isn't it a blatant advertising to minors? Let me, as a newspaper guy, say the IDS I know is marketed to students, so it's 18 to 22, but it's also marketed to faculty, staff, 
um, which are obviously a lot older. Is it a blatant advertising to minors? I think it's an, it's an advertising to all their, all their folks. Um, we have been joined on the phone by Matt Colglazer. Matt, uh, he's a, the Big, Red, Big Red's marketing director. Matt, thanks for calling in. Thanks, Bob. Sure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think we have enough time, probably, to get into. We, we got all about the, two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> the cultural issues uh, surrounding drinking, but I just wanted to say, you know, I think it's great that you're having this discussion, and I think, you know, for for our perspective, a local business that's been around for a long time, that I think is, as one of the panelists said, is maybe more of a, a trusted brand uh, with that particular population uh, we plan on continuing to pass out the flyers about the lifeline law through the fall continuing to post the the posters and, and we did run a, a a full page ad in the ids just yesterday with with basically the same poster trying to inform students about the law and uh you know that it, it it's maybe it's a small effort but uh you know, it seemed to me like the, at least the students that we talked to yesterday didn't didn't know about it or had only heard parts of it and weren't weren't as informed as as I know Senator Merritt and and ourselves would like them to be. So, um, you know, it, it's a small thing, and I you know I and I said it yesterday, and I would reiterate that you know if it's one student that's more conscientious that that stays with somebody and makes the phone call, um, you know we we would consider that a victory. So, um, and that's, I, that's all I'll say, but, uh, it's, it's, it's our effort to, uh, to try to make a little difference. All right. Hey, thanks a lot for calling in and, uh, and helping fill us in on that. Appreciate it. Sure. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thank uh, you. All right. We're, we, we've run out of time, so we're going to have to, to get off the air here, but I want to thank our guests, Pete Goldsmith, uh, Brett Hiley, Randall Frickberg, Lori Flint, and also for Clara McInerney, my co-host today, and producers Gretchen Frazee and Emily Wright, engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net and from IU School of Public Health Bloomington, addressing public health needs by preventing disease, promoting health, and improving quality of life across the state and around the world through research, teaching, and community engagement, offering undergraduate and advanced degrees, publichealth.indiana.edu.